Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. Restorative justice is growth in use and application. I first became aware of the term restorative justice quite a few years ago now. I have never been an expert on the subject, and I embarked on a little online research to learn more about where restorative justice stands today. I fairly quickly landed on the website of the Zare Institute for Restorative Justice. Howard Zare is a criminologist who is considered a pioneer of the concept of restorative justice. The Institute is a program of the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding at Eastern Mennonite University. The Institute's Introduction to Restorative Justice, written by Howard Zare, begins with the idea that many people don't know how much the concept has grown, both in its use in victim-offender settings and in expansion well beyond the criminal justice arena. His piece ends with a caution about the term. Sometimes it is used in ways that are rather far removed from what those in the field have intended. Restorative justice was first discussed in the 1970s. At the time, some were concerned that the interests of crime victims were being overlooked by a system that was keenly focused on consequences for offenders, with punishment the major element. Restorative justice adopts a different perspective. Offenders are accountable to the victims as well as the justice system. Offenders come to understand the harm they have done to victims and, where possible, repair the harm done. Victims have an opportunity to have their needs addressed. Today, the use of restorative justice in these settings has spread far and wide. And the application of the concept has grown into schools, religious institutions, and societies at large. Howard Zare's description of how to evaluate whether a process is accurately described as restorative justice is clear and concise. I will quote him in a moment. First, I encourage you to consider how the principles of restorative justice could apply to a conflict important to you, even an interpersonal one, where it might be the default approach, but perhaps not the best approach, to focus only on punishing the offender, even in a context that has nothing to do with criminal behavior. I'd suggest that many types of conflict could benefit from a dose of restorative justice principles. And now, here's Howard Zare. When you see the term, you might ask yourself these questions. Are the wrongs being acknowledged? Are the needs of those who were harmed being addressed? Is the one who committed the harm being encouraged 
to understand the damage and accept his or her obligation to make right the wrong are those involved in or affected by this being invited to be part of the solution? Is concern being shown for everyone involved? If the answers to these questions are no, then even though it may have restorative elements, it isn't restorative justice. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please share it. Leave a rating or review. Subscribe through one of the major apps. For anyone new to podcasts, here's something you may not know. Subscribing is free. You can also find the show at craftingsolutionstoconflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane Bettle.